Hey guys, Jason here with Spectrum Labs and I'm coming at you from my new office, my kids playroom. And uh, this is uh, my new office mate, the Little Mermaid, and all the other toys that my kids have. Actually, here's my new comfy chair. It's uh, pretty spectacular. Uh, this is the zebra wooden chair. I also have a tiger and an elephant as options. This is the less hard on my rear end. Um, anyway, strange times for everybody. I'm fortunate that I can work from this space. Uh, at our extraction facility, Spectrum Labs, we only have one person working at a time, trying to minimize interaction, trying to do our part for, uh, for uh, distancing ourselves, but also doing our part to keep the doors open for our clients and also for our valuable employees. So, strange times, right? Um, so I, for this podcast episode, I speak with Morris Beagle. Um, he's the founder of Wafta. Um, we are for better alternatives. Really interesting story. Uh, Morris's background and his company with about 12 brands on the roof is super interesting for a lot of people that are considering, of course, just branding, deciding between branding versus uh, having a bunch of different things or products. Uh, or business ideas under one name or under one group. Um, so that's a good conversation uh, if you're interested in that. Also, um, Morris, a big part of his company or his brands were expos. Uh, he had, he's the founder of the NOCO Hemp Expo and this year they were expecting uh, 15 to 20,000 attendees. They were sold out of the exhibitor booths, everything was going well, then they had to pivot, and uh, he has a really interesting thing coming, a really interesting event coming up that I'll link to in the show notes. And uh, just great conversation all around. Uh, we talk about, um, talk about minor cannabinoids, how to think about diversification and branding. Um, we talk about, um, Morris explains why he decided to work to, to set up 12 brands instead of working with just one company name. Uh, he has a background in the music industry and that's a really interesting story to hear about what happened and how he got out of that industry, why he got into the hemp and the cannabis industry and some of the things that he applied from learning um, in the music industry and what he's applying to the hemp industry. So. Great conversation, we bounce around, we talk about a lot of different topics. Morris seems to be a really interesting dude. Hope that I get to meet him face-to-face -face at one of, the, uh, one of his uh, upcoming events when, we're all, um, when, we, when we all feel like it's safe to get back together. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Please listen, please share, leave a review. If you get a minute or two, I would really appreciate it. It would help to extend these conversations to a lot more people out there. And here is this great conversation with Morris Beagle. Morris, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hope you're doing all right. Doing great. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate yeah. having me on. Fantastic. So I see you have your musical instruments in the back. I'm, I'm sure we'll get to talk about that company in the background. Uh, and I thought we'd start off with this. I always like to ask people sort of how they got to to the hemp and the cannabis industry. And um, can we start there? Do you know, how, how did you and why did you decide to get into this crazy industry? So I've been a cannabis user for quite some time, really since high school, recreational cannabis user. 
And <clears throat> I was never really part of the industry up until about 2012. I've been in the music industry before that, since the late 80s through 2010, had a music production company doing everything from studio coordination to CD and DVD manufacturing and packaging, merchandise, artist management, music licensing, kind of a jack of all trades, master of some, which was really more of the, the printing and packaging side of things. And when I first started getting into that back in the mid 90s, having my own big production company, I worked for a large music and video company before that. Um, when I moved back, to, I moved back to Fort Collins from California and there was a company called the the Hemper Wears No Clothes that was a hemp store in Fort Collins and they had hemp clothing and hemp body care and rope and soap and all that stuff. And at that time I got to know the owner pretty well and and read the Jack Hare book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, which is where the store obviously got its name from and and became familiar with hemp and actually did some t-shirts and hats for some bands that I was working with that wanted to have some hemp apparel, but really was not into the hemp industry at that point. And the music industry itself and being part of the physical side of things with CDs and DVDs and the packaging side of things, once the internet came along and you had Napster and mp3.com and then all these file sharing networks like Pirate Bay and Demonoid where people could go on and actually download entire discographies that really impacted the music industry particularly the physical media industry which was my bread and butter and from let's say 2005 to 2010 record stores are going out of business distributors manufacturers all that stuff really got decimated during that time and people couldn't make up the difference by digital downloads and streaming and all that so i was really looking for a different avenue to to take my talents and find out what I was going to do next in my life. And the medical cannabis industry really picked up in Colorado in 2009, 2010. Dispensaries were opening up everywhere. And then there was a push for recreational adult use in 2012 with Amendment 64. And within that legislation, there was the opportunity for farmers here in Colorado to start growing hemp. And this was before the 2014 Farm Bill that launched these hemp pilot programs across the country and being kind of on the front lines it's like hmm there's something interesting i'm familiar with hemp and you know apparel and hemp paper and so i reached out to a friend of mine elizabeth knight and says hey you want to start a hemp company and we could start doing hemp merchandise and so in 2012 we started colorado hemp company and it really started off as a merchandise company doing t-shirts and hats and we worked with some other manufacturers that were out there doing wallets and beanies and shoes and backpacks there's a company called hempies another company called hemp mania and another company called wicked hemp footwear so we partnered with them and started distributing their stuff and selling their stuff to local retailers and and that's really what kicked off everything from there we found a hemp paper company and started doing hemp paper printing doing business cards and posters and and then we started doing hemp events in 2014 we launched noco hemp expo again coming from the music industry being involved with a lot of different aspects i was involved with concerts and festivals and live shows and booking and all of that stuff so that's really how it got going was, you know, it was Amendment 64 and the whole cannabis thing that was happening here in Colorado. 
Tell me if I have the story right. So there's, uh, I read somewhere about you discovering music in uh, with your brothers in the attic or something like that. That kind of ties into some of the things that you do today. Well, so in Oklahoma, my my folks are from Oklahoma, Beaver, Oklahoma, and and we used to go out there when I was a kid. We moved to Colorado when I was like six months old. And we'd go back to Oklahoma and visit my grandparents. And we were up in the attic and it was probably 1971, 72. I was like four or five years old. And we were listening to Black Sabbath up in my grandma's attic. And, you know, since that time... Was this your grandma's my, music? Was she no, listening? It was my, no, it was my, <laughs> my cousins had that lived in Oklahoma, oh, had okay. a record player up in the attic. And no, she was, they were pretty religious and didn't mm -hmm. want to have rock and roll and so we had to go up to the attic to get our dose of rock and roll and my yeah. older brothers influenced me in that way turned me on to rock and roll when i was a young kid and and my earliest memory of music is black sabbath listening to it in my grandma's attic so that really kind of was the the breeding ground of my musical endeavors i hmm. guess that's cool. I have uh, so my uh, brother and uh, stepbrother. They're uh, let's see, about ten years older than I am. And I remember we were all in the house living together. And uh, my sister, who's eleven years older, she was sort of my second mom. So I was always you know, hanging out with her and uh, sort of being influenced by her music. And it was all the like the easy pop listening of the eighties. You know, like uh, what is it, like Peter Cetera, uh, <laughs> Brian Adams, all that kind of stuff. And then one day I saw a cassette player or a cassette in front of uh, my brother's stereo. And it was uh, like Lady Justice. And I'm like, oh, what is this? This is kind of weird. And I put it in for whatever reason, there was nobody in the house at that time. And uh, it was Metallica and Justice For All, that album. <laughs> and like, I must have been, I don't know, maybe seven or eight at that point. And like, I just sat there for the entire album, just wondering like, what? is this like this is so crazy like just totally blew my mind and ever since then like you know it just totally changed my perspective about music just that there there were other things out there um so it's funny how you had sort of a not, not exactly but just you know kind of like discovering music uh, in a different way like that right that's funny i was actually gonna wear a metallica shirt today i got a metallica oh, nice. shirt like a couple of weeks ago it just saw the store it's like i don't even own a metallica shirt so i picked <laughs> up a metallica shirt and i looked at it in my closet today and it's like ah uh, no <laughs> <laughs> nice funny, um so let's see with uh what do we start there just since we're talking about music so you have a few different companies you have uh, for the folks that are watching that will be watching this uh you have some of your speaker cabinets in the background um and so that that has a relationship to hemp right Correct. So we started a company called Silver Mountain Hemp about a year and a half, two years ago. I had been working with some folks that were doing hemp guitars out of Canada and I approached them to see if they would private label some guitars for me. And, and they said yes. And I've been working with them for the last year and a half, two years. And I've also come to work with some other folks that are based out of Atlanta that are building speaker cabinets. And anyway, I have found a variety of usable materials to produce guitars and guitar cabinets, uh, guitar straps. And we're working on hemp plastic for pick guards and picks and that's volume cool. knobs and so forth. So that's, you know, how can we build a instrument company that's utilizing hemp as a main component? And that's been kind of what we've are trying to achieve here. 
Okay. Very interesting. Um, and then just to give context to folks, because uh, you, you work or you have a lot of different companies, uh, I think maybe 10 or, or 12 or something like that. Um, can, can you kind of go over either some of the main companies or maybe the themes behind them or, or some of the reasons why? Uh, I, I don't think no sane person would choose to work uh, or have 11 companies, right? I mean, <laughs> there, there's a certain level of kind of, um, I don't know, audacity maybe. Um, to, to well, get I wouldn't into all say that, that it's, it's really 11 or 12 companies. It's like brands underneath okay, brands. one umbrella. So the, so the, the company is WAFBA. Mm-hmm. We are for better alternatives. W-A-F-B-A. And underneath that is Colorado Hemp Company, which, so think of WAFBA as the body and think of Colorado Hemp Company as the brain creator producer. So we started Colorado Hemp Company to start in 2012. And from there, we started to spawn these other entities. And Colorado Hemp Company, when it started, was really a merchandise company. And from there, we started a paper company, Tree Free Hemp. And both of these related back to the music side of things um, as doing merchandise and doing printing in the music business days. And then we started NOCO Hemp Expo in 2014. So there's another entity or another brand doing events. And then from there, we started Let's Talk Hemp, which is really programming and developing content. And that's evolved more and more. We have a podcast with that now. We have a weekly newsletter. We have a digital magazine. But it's all media and marketing driven. And that's what all of this has been so far. And then from there, we've also got multiple other events. We've got Southern Hemp Expo, which is out of Nashville. It's our second biggest event that we do. NOCO Hemp Expo, we've been doing for six years. We were going into year seven that was supposed to happen at the end of March. We've had to postpone it, reschedule mm-hmm. it into August. But we've got oh, a half a dozen events. So when you, th- when you say we've got 12 companies, it's really brands or imprints is the way I look at it because half of those are events. And then we've also got a site called hempevents.org, which is really just a calendar site that promotes our events as well as other events throughout the cannabis space, primarily with a hemp focus. Okay. And how many people work between all of these different brands with you? So I've got two partners, uh, Elizabeth Knight and Lori Baderas. They're my two partners. And from there, we've got probably 15 to 20 different independent contractors that do various things for us. We've got a webmaster. We've got a graphic designer. We've got a couple social media people. We have people that specifically work for NOCO Hemp Expo doing exhibitor and sponsor outreach. Um, We've got logistics people that help with our hotel side of things and catering. And so we utilize a lot of different contractors to fill necessities within our business. Okay. And so for folks that might not be um, too aware of just like, you know, branding, what, uh, why not do all of these things under one name? Right, like you know, for example, like Wafta or, or maybe Noco, uh, you choose to to segment all these businesses into different brands. Why choose to do that? Like, what's the advantage of doing that? It was similar to what I had with my music company, which was Happy Scratch. So Happy Scratch was the umbrella, and underneath that umbrella, we had different record label imprints. We had a label called Fist Music, which was a hard rock and metal label. We had another label called Avon Acoustic Records, which was primarily instrumental acoustic fingerstyle 
type stuff like Michael Hedges and Alex Degrassi and a lot of fingerstyle guitar players was, were on that label. Then I had another label called Big Bender Records, which had Outlaw Country and Cow Punk and beer drinking, pot smoking, hillbilly type music. So I come from this kind of background where I've always liked to have variety of offshoots and entities. And it, I think it comes from being in the music industry where if you go to Sony Music or EMI or Warner Brothers, they've got all these little sub labels and production companies and uh, publishing companies. So I was influenced and inspired by the music industry with some of these bigger companies that were really umbrella companies for a variety of different entities that all worked synergistically together um, for that one entity. Mm. And so is that typically because the a consumer might have a difficult time thinking that, well, you know, I, I'm listening to this band, I, I, you know, let's just put out, make up a couple of things like, you know, Metallica, right. With uh metal. Uh, but then, uh, I'm not going to be listening to Taylor Swift. That's on the same label. Um, you know, if I, if I only like one of those two bands, is that sort of like that, that putting the um, kind of feeding the consumer's mind about, you know, kind of placing what they're going to be consuming. I would say so having a variety of different entities allows us from a business perspective, let's say an investment company was interested in a hemp paper company. Well, we've been developing tree-free hemp over the course of the last six years. And maybe we would want to sell that company to mm -hmm. another company that wanted to acquire a hemp paper company. Let's say some hedge fund was looking to add that to their portfolio. And they said, Oh, WAFPA's got, Hey, they've got a paper company. They also got a hemp guitar company. We're not interested in that guitar company, but right. we are interested in the paper company. And so within our books, and our financials, we've delineated all of our entities. And it's pretty easy for us to go through. And if somebody wanted to do a joint venture with us or acquire a part of our company, then we could just sell that off or it. partner it or, or do whatever we needed to do in that situation. Yep, that makes sense. Okay. Um, and if we can change gears and talk about uh, today and some of the things that are happening. Uh, so you have um, a pretty large event uh, or, or several events um, that, that you're having to maybe reimagine or, or postpone. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you guys are doing? Maybe what's going on, what's going through your mind um, and some of the changes that you're making to possibly continue. I think you are continuing to do this in a, but possibly in a different way to have these uh, expos. Correct. So we were going into year seven at the end of March. It was supposed to be March 26th, 27th, 28th. Uh, in Denver, Colorado, moving to a larger venue for NOCO Hemp Expo. And NOCO has grown from 2014 with 350 people to 2019 to over 10,000 people. And 2020, we were expecting 20,000 plus people and 400 plus exhibitors and had sold out the exhibitor floor and ready to really have a, a rock and show. And because of coronavirus and COVID, we've had to to postpone it. And fortunately, we pulled the plug and got the reschedule to happen 16 days out from the event. I think we we made the decision on March 10th, I believe was the date, 9th or 10th. And, and we learned a, les a lesson from our friends at New Hope Media who put on the Natural Products Expo in Anaheim, which is the largest natural products expo in the world. And 
I was out there the week before and they actually pulled the plug when everybody was already setting up. And it was a very unfortunate situation for those guys. And, and I really look up to those guys because they're an amazing event company that puts on these huge trade shows. And, and you know, nobody could have predicted this entire situation and and what happened with those guys the week before it's like wow we really better pay attention to this and then we saw what happened with south by southwest the friday before we made our decision it's like well we're, we got to make this decision we're going to postpone it and now that we're postponing it what are we going to do because people still need to congregate they still need to do business and interact and we still have to have education we still have to address industry needs and so we're launching into the virtual space like most people and we've got a earth day event that's going to be happening on 422 uh, 423 and 424 we're launching noco hemp expo earth week and we've got a variety of live presentations we're going to do we've also got a variety of uh, pre-recorded presentations that are going to be in a Let's Talk Hemp library. We've got a virtual trade show that's going to go on, a virtual networking hall. And, and we've been building out this platform, which we actually just started building out about a week ago. It's taken about a couple of weeks to, to get this whole thing in place with the company that's building out this virtual platform. And, and we're launching a virtual trade show next week. And we've got a year license to really build out this whole ecosystem in the cloud is what I'm kind of calling it. And that's what we're doing is we're moving into the cloud and we're going to build out an entire virtual platform for people to gather and do business and network and do education and that's the direction we're going to go until things settle down here in the real world. Yeah. Is that for you? I mean, you've been an, uh, an entrepreneur for a long time. Is that, is that a scary thing? Is it, are you more optimistic and excited about it? Or maybe like, is there a different sentiment thinking about this thing coming up? I'm excited about it. You know, we have to pivot when, mm -hmm. when things happen and you got to make a change. You, I mean, you got to make a change. Yeah. And in this particular situation, it's like, if we don't do something, then we're going to go down. And I have no intention of going down and neither do my partners. And I don't think that this situation is going to derail the cannabis industry or the hemp industry to a degree that's going to decimate it. I think that the folks that operate in this space are generally very resilient, very innovative, and we just got to keep on keeping on. And while this situation goes on, which we can't control a global pandemic, hopefully mm -hmm. our government and those in charge are going to make the right decisions and open things up at the right time. I don't think that we can shut down our entire economy for months and months and months and keep people locked in their houses. That's not going to go over because if we to try to do that it's it's the detriment to society is going to be more so than the hundreds of thousands of deaths that are taking place at this point in time so i don't know it is a scary time for our society but i think that the dust will settle and we'll figure out ways to to deal with this pandemic and in the meantime those of us in whatever industry it is we have to figure out how to continue to do business and and move our industry forward. Yeah. So. so you sound really optimistic. And now, actually, I signed up for the uh, the um, the conference that you're having on 422. I, I happened to stumble across that, uh, unrelated to our conversation here. And so I thought it was a cool oh. event. Uh, so Great. I'll put put uh, links in the show notes about that as well. 
Um, and, um, let's see. So with, uh, with the hemp industry, um, you know, a lot of change, whether it's retailers, right? Like there are some stores that are open, some that are not, um, just people meeting and gathering and doing business face to face. And so a lot is changing. What, uh, what have you seen or maybe what kinds of suggestions are you offering to people in the, in the industry, entrepreneurs and business owners about how to take this and either, turn it into an opportunity or maybe it'll try to sustain what, what, uh, what kind of advice do you have there? I would say people just need to remain positive and optimistic because if you don't have hope and even if it's false hope is better than no hope at all is what I've always believed. Um, because I think that if you, you, you turn down the wrong alleyway and you just, all you see is doom and gloom that that's never going to get you to where you want to be. And I think that, that this is a temporary situation. I don't think that it's going to be the apocalypse, which some people think it's the apocalypse. Some people think that everything's a huge conspiracy. Hmm. I think that we got a global pandemic and if we don't pay attention to these deadly diseases, which I think that we've been neglectful and really not given it the, 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 the emphasis that we need to probably at a government level, things are going to change now. And society is going to continue on that. There are opportunities for those that are savvy business people, depending on what area of the supply chain you're in right now, it, it is challenging. Cause so we're not just focused on like hemp retailers or CBD uh, manufacturers or brands we're, we're the entire supply chain so the the agriculture side of things farmers genetics all of this still has to continue on and and being at the beginning of planning season people have to make adjustments how they're going to do business together and again it, it all comes down to to being online i mean that's the only thing that we can do now and that's why you see people scrambling to zoom and and doing this stuff i mean day in and day out my email box is flooded with this webinar that webinar yeah. and and some of that stuff's going to stick some of it's not who's going to do it well who's not going to do it well it just goes back to who's going to be up here at this level doing business on a on a level that is going to have impact um and and it's going to make a difference for for their business and for the industry that they're involved in yeah, absolutely. Um, I get uh, a call or an email um, almost on, on a daily basis from specifically cultivators and farmers wondering, um, like, hey, what what should I be doing or planning for next season? Or there are a lot of folks that I still speak with that have a lot of uh, biomass left over and not a flower. Um, what um, if you've had conversations with folks like that? Like, what do you what do you say? What should some a farmer think about? for uh this upcoming season um whether you know they should be looking at uh agreements or or whether to harvest or not or, you know to plant or not what, what what advice do you have for somebody in that position i would say that if you don't have a buyer that you shouldn't be planting if you're setting on a bunch of biomass now which a lot of people are unfortunately 
we over, overgrew the entire system this last year for CBD biomass and smokable flour. There just wasn't the demand there that a lot of these people thought that there was or were told that there was by consultants or genetics companies. Genetics companies would go out and say, buy our feminized seed, buy our clones, we'll buy it all back from you. And then all of a sudden, nobody's buying stuff back. There was a huge miscalculation from a lot of people in our industry about this CBD side of things and smokable flour, where smokable flour still is in this very kind of ambiguous, is it legal, is it not legal state. And when it comes to like the smokable flour, where that's where people were making quite a bit of money on the hemp side of things is they're making 400, 600, 800 bucks a pound. Mm -hmm. And now all that stuff is 10, 15, 20. I don't, I'm not even sure how, how much it's bottomed out at this yeah. point because that keeps changing. Um, I don't, uh, the, the smokable flower thing was really confusing to me because I don't know that many people that like to smoke hemp flower. If, if, if you're in a legal state, virtually nobody is smoking hemp flower. They're smoking recreational cannabis mm -hmm. or medicinal cannabis. Um, where the hemp industry is going to go, it's going to be diversified. It's going to be fiber and grain and flour. So if you're not growing for all of those, if you're putting all your eggs in one basket in this CBD basket, what happens when the bottom falls out of the market, just like it did with soy or with corn? You have to be diversified. And unfortunately, with the hemp industry right now in the United States, there's not a lot of infrastructure for the fiber side of it or the grain side of it. Now, there is some infrastructure on the grain side, but there's still a limited market because hemp seed and protein powder and the hemp seed oil is a very limited market at this point. But I think that that's going to open up and become significantly more than it is. Superfoods, organic, regenerative products, that is the wave of the future. And more and more people would like to buy and, and put healthy products into their system. So. Yeah. You know, is, is it, that you, an immediate answer? I don't think so. But I guess going back, what I would tell people is to be very cautious about what you're planting right now. If you think mm -hmm. that you're going to plant some great genetics and get a bunch of great CBD flour and, and you're going to be able to make money 50 to 100 bucks a pound on this stuff, that's just not going to happen. That's not reality. There's too much material on the market right now. People are yeah. setting on thousands of liters of crude and isolate and all that stuff's going to hit the market and it's going to flood the market. It's so cheap of prices. It's really going to hurt people this year. Yeah. Do you, um, what do you think about, uh, CBN, CBG? I've heard a lot of folks talking about that. These are going to be the, this is going to be the next wave, um, which I, I kind of have my doubts, but what, what do you think? I have my doubts on that too. I think that CBG has a lot of promise, and CBN is just, isn't that converted THC pretty much? Mm. That's what, uh, from what I understand, that you can't really get CBN without THC eventually degrading and converting to that. Yeah. I'm not sure about the all these minor cannabinoids. Yeah, there's going to be places for them. I think that that's going to be a little more niche market than CBD. CBD is really the, the big thing out there. But again, that's going to be when it all settles down 
and you go into a store and you go into an ap- apothecary section or a botanical section, that stuff's going to be 15, 20, 30, $40 tops a bottle. There's not going to be this $100, $200 bottles of 1,000 milliliter CBD product that's on the shelves because people aren't going to pay that. Yeah. yeah. You know, up until this um, coronavirus thing, I for amongst retailers, I didn't see a lot of prices dropping. Yeah, you know, I, I saw prices dropping with uh, with biomass and, you know, on the farmer to processor side, uh, of course, with bulk products, crude and distillate and whatnot. But uh, with retailers, at least where I am, I didn't really see prices bottoming out. Uh, but now with quarantine, I'm seeing a lot of retailers offering discounts and promotions and whatnot, just to encourage people to continue purchasing. And I'm wondering if if this is kind of like the the beginning of that decline uh, of retailing prices, where you know it's I think unlikely for those retail prices to come back up after everybody kind of gets out of out of their home. Yeah, I think that retail pricing is going to come down significantly. I do think that we've been waiting on the FDA to to clarify a lot yeah. of the regulatory aspects of this with CBD, and and hopefully they do it this year. It, it should be coming. I don't know what the Corona situation is going to do to impact the FDA until the FDA does really clarify things. Retail is still going to be suspect. Uh, the natural products industry is still going to have a lot of suspect players saying, eh, I'm not sure that we're going to get into that until the FDA clarifies things. That's just the reality of it. But the price is only going to go down. Margins are going to get tighter. You're going to have big companies for example, Barleen's has been in the natural products industry for 30 plus years doing flax, flaxseed oil, uh, fish oil. That was really their big products until they jumped in the CBD market. And they were one of the first big companies to do so. And when you see these Gaia herbs and Barleen's and these big natural products companies that have shelf space at all these retailers, they're going to get in there. They already know the pricing model and all these small players that have been around selling stuff that has great margin, very profitable. That's all going to go away. That's I don't it. see any other way. And we want to make sure that, that the, the pricing is at a level where farmers can still make a living. Everybody in the supply chain needs to be able to, to make margin in this. Mm-hmm. And Unfortunately, in the end, it seems like farmers have got screwed over and over and over in our system the last 30 years. And hemp was the promise of being able to provide farmers an opportunity to make a good living. And I think that that's still possible. But to do that, they're going to have to diversify, again, fiber, grain and flour. And so with um, how do you start thinking about that as a farmer? If um, I think you mentioned before that the 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 supply chain for textiles is not quite there. Um, so how do you begin to think about, you know, like, okay, well, how do I diversify away from uh, harvesting uh, hemp for CBD oil? That's, a, that's the million or billion dollar question that we're all trying to figure out yeah. because we have to have some infrastructure in place where if I'm going to grow for fiber, where can I send it? Is there a processing facility where I can send all my fiber and they can decorticate it and then they can separate it and put it into the building materials industry or the bioplastics industry or the paper industry or the textiles industry? Who's going to buy all this fiber biomass from 
the farmer, mm-hmm. which, by the way, will be a lot less profitable than this flower has been for the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with the grain side of it. I think it's going to become traditional farming and agriculture. It's not going to be this boutique business that has been built upon the last several years. Although there will be some of that. I think that the craft industry will still survive when it comes to hemp and cannabis overall. You've got these brands that put out really cool products and they've got something unique about them, whatever that's a cannabinoid and terpene profile. And people really feel the benefits of whatever that product is that they're taking. So I I think that there's always going to be a niche market for a lot of this, just like there is in the beer industry or the wine industry, Mm -hmm. that that craft market will be there. But when it comes to, it's going to be another commodity, just like corn and just like soy, just like wheat, you know, how many different industries can this crop supply? Yeah. So um, with, uh, let's say for the companies that are doing okay, or maybe doing well, um, you seem to be good at attracting attention and, and kind of get, gaining clients. Um, how do you think about getting customers? Um, and maybe we can relate that into these companies that want to either attract more customers or maybe better customers. Uh, how, do, how do you consider that? Because, you know, for CBD, there CBD oil and some of those products, there are a lot of competitors, right? Like it's hard to kind of set yourself apart. So how do you how do you do that? How do you get attention? How, so how do you differentiate yourself if you're in the CBD market? Yeah. That, that's a, that's a tough question. I, I've got asked that question several times and you have to have a hook. So I guess look at the, look at the music industry. How, how do you, if I'm a rock band, how do I separate myself out from all the other rock bands that are mm-hmm. out there? Is it your look? Is it your lead singer? Is it, the what is it that song that that breaks through that everybody knows so if i'm a brand is it my packaging well it really has to come down to the product it has to come down to the formulation it has to come down to the company ethos what does your company do are you involved in the local community are you involved in something that sets yourself apart from all your competitors what can you do that that really differentiates yourself and i would say that it does come back to community, company ethos, what are you doing above and beyond just putting a product into the market that would make me want to spend money with you? Yeah. Does that, I, I, I love music. I, I, you know, listen to new bands and whatnot and, uh, but I, I, I don't have the inside track. It, it, does that exist? Like do, let's say executives, do they create music bands like oh hey you have to have this look or you have to sound like this is that a thing or or am i just making it up in my head well a lot of the boy bands were oh, created in the in the boardroom let's say in sync or new kids on the block or boys to men right new edition all of those were like created in the boardroom by menudo music. right like that's kind of like the, the inception for that <laughs> and okay. so is there really that's an in that's entirely money profit driven right mm-hmm. there. There's really no substance with, with that type of music. I don't yeah. think I don't, I, I don't find substance in it. Sure. Yeah. Compared yeah. to let's say Led Zeppelin or even Madonna or Lady Gaga, where those are artists that mm-hmm. created their own thing. Yeah. And whether you like Madonna or Lady Gaga or not, 
they're really not manufactured. They create, they, that's their persona. They created mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think with um, a persona like that, it seems like for a conservative executive team, that's sort of a nightmare, right? It's like you're, you're, you know, fighting to, to, for them to be more conservative, but you know, that that's what the, the clients or the consumers like, right? Like it's different. It sounds mm-hmm. good. Like it's, it's, um, it, it's good art. Yeah. Um, so let's see with, um, have you heard about the, I guess, newer, uh, minor cannabinoids like C- CBDP, THCP? Have you heard any news about that? I'm seeing that come through my email and hearing people talk about all of those. I'm not really overly familiar. It's new to the space. People mm-hmm. are discovering this and putting out information. I don't know how much research is really out there on any of this. And mm-hmm. that's where it's hard to tell what's real and what's not. Okay. They exist. Well, what do they do? And yeah. can they be produced in any sort of volume that, uh, that can then enter the supply chain? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we've been playing around with a couple of them uh, and it's been super interesting. And so, you know, we're checking with lawyers just to make sure that, that, uh, can we put these, put this out to market? Uh, so we've been playing around with it. It's been really interesting with, um, playing with, uh, let's see, THCP, uh, Delta eight, um, and some of these things that are, are new and they come from hemp. And so they, they have a legal status, you know, which is kind of, weird uh to think about that but um with the thcp specifically it's been fun playing around with that um in that it's such a small amount can have such a strong um effect in people and it's it's kind of like people are um i think surprised that they can do that um, when they're used to maybe smoking it or, or consuming a gummy or something like that. We're, we're, right, the stuff that we're playing around with right now are uh, little vials, just uh, almost like a, like a tiny tincture sample. So with, and, and this is THCV P, or P. T, THCP. Yeah. And so what variety do you have that how, how much is produced in, in the highest variety that you would have? Like oh, point? I mean, in, let's say in, uh, the, just for, for visual effect, um, in a kilo, you can produce enough to make roughly, um, 2000 samples from just, you know, a kilo for is there. So not 2000 samples, 2000, uh, servings because you need such a small amount because the, um, I'm hearing different amounts, but it seems like THCP is five to 30 times stronger than THC. So you don't need a lot. Okay. So THCP is another psychoactive compound. Yeah. Like THC, except significantly stronger. Right. And you can get a kilo of this isolated. Yeah. Or are you talking to just an isolated kilo of, of full spectrum? No, no. So it's, it's totally, yeah, it's the, the THCP is isolated. So it's, it's just that uh, for, for the most part, there's like a, a tiny bit of THC in there, but it's still under, once you uh, put it into a serving, there's uh, it's less than 0.3% THC, you know, which is what the government 
right. doesn't want to see you go over. Uh, but the THCP level is, um, I forget the exact amount right now with what we're playing with, but it's, it's, um, a smaller number than the 0.3, but the effect is the same as like, you know, 10 to 15 milligrams of regular THC. How much material would it take to get a kilo of THCP? That's um, why that, yeah, that, that's what I'm trying to think about. How, oh, how sure. Much so it, it's no. So let's see, I'm trying to remember, I think a 50 pounds of biomass, um, would give us roughly about a kilo after you go through, cause you have to, you know, extract it, um, isolate it out, um, sorry, CBD isolate it, and then go through and isolate it into THCP. So it takes a little bit longer, um, but, uh, you know, for an efficient facility that, that it's not a huge deal. Interesting. Yeah. So still playing around with that. It's been, been interesting. You know, we, we love just playing around. Right. And I think, sure. um, you know, we, we've done the CBD oil and extraction and it's good. And we like to produce a quality product, but I think just, you know, entrepreneurs and, and sort of having a, a sign, some scientists on our staff, just finding new things like that's, that's, that's cool. Right. Like it's some of the, one of the things that keeps us going, um, especially in a time like this. Right. So that material obviously would end up going into the medicinal or, and recreational markets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it seems like. We're, we're talking to folks, just asking questions, just trying to see you know, what kind of interest there is out there. Um, but um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting again with all these minor cannabinoids, both on the THC side of the business, as well as the hemp side of the business mm -hmm. with like the CBGs and the CBNs and the CBCs and all those Cs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, like with going back to the CBG for a second, cause I, I keep hearing a lot of folks mainly from the processing side, you know, which is what we do or from the cultivator side saying that, Hey, CBG is going to be the next big thing, but we have a small retail store uh, where we just you know help folks. We try to understand what people want and, and what, uh, what works and what doesn't. And I've yet to have a single customer saying, Hey, do you have CBG? Um, you know, th there are most folks that come into us still don't even know exactly what CBD is. They've just heard about it. They know that, you know, their mom takes it and they told them to come and get it. Um, so I think to introduce another product like that, uh, where the, where it's consumer driven demand, I think is a little bit challenging right now when they're being bombarded about CBD and what that is. Um, so, you know, it might take a marketer, maybe like somebody like yourself that, you know, understands consumer psychology to say, Hey, CBG, it's the next big thing, but I'm not seeing anybody getting into that space right now. I would agree completely. The CBD thing happened because of let's say Charlotte Figgy, mm -hmm. you know, rest in peace. She yeah. was, you know, one of, she was a huge catalyst for this industry and the whole epileptic children side of things really put cbd on the map and then all of a sudden cbd also assist with pain and anxiety and all these other conditions which cbd theoretically can assist with and it's become a big thing in the media for five years and we've been building this thing around cbd and and there is a consumer market for it 
And it's taken a while. And we're still, there's still a lot of room to penetrate the market with CBD. And to follow up with CBG, consumers, it takes them a while before things catch on. Mm-hmm. So I, I still, I think it's going to be a while before CBG catches on because CBD still has to run its course, yeah. even though CBD is maybe a little bit in limbo within our own space because everybody's setting on all this material, the prices are dropping and, you know, people that have been in the industry for the last five years are kind of, a lot of us are like, all right, I'm kind of done and over with CBD at this point. It's like, let's move on and let's go, let's get to CBG. Let's get to THCP. Let's get to these other cannabinoids, but the general consumer market, they're several years behind the industry itself. Yeah. Um, and so I uh, know you have to go here soon, but just uh, to start wrapping up, is there anything that I know you, you seem to be just from looking at some of your online presence and some of the different companies that you're part of, uh, you're, you seem to be an advocate and really passionate about this industry. Uh, is there anything that you would like to leave people with, whether it's a message or a call to action, uh, maybe something that you you keep saying over and over, hoping that people will understand or, or remember about the industry? Well, I would say be, if you're in the industry, obviously you're passionate about cannabis and, and that you should follow your passion. You should you should do what you truly believe in. And if you, and if you believe in this plant, which a lot of us do, um, I think this cha- this plant can change the world, not only from the cons- consumable side, but really from the industrial side and the environmental side. That's why I focus on the, the hemp side of it rather than on the medicinal and recreational side of it, because I see that hemp can transform agriculture and by organic and regenerative practices by all the ingredients that can be made from the grain side of it and the fiber side of it going into the food system and going into the industrial uh, industrial supply chain, whether that's paper and bioplastics and building materials, and really have a positive impact on society. And, and to me, this industry is about social change. It's about uh, industrial change, environmental change, and and again, I guess follow your passion. That's what I'm doing. And I see a lot of the same type of people around me doing that sort of thing. So I guess that's all, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to leave it with that. Yeah, cool. great. That's, that's a good <laughs> message. Uh, I think a good place to leave it. Um, so if somebody wants to reach out to you or maybe learn more about you, where should we direct them? Uh, you can go to morrisbeagle.com or morris at Morris Beagle is my email and at Morris Beagle on social media, whether that's Facebook or Instagram. Okay, great. Well, I will link to that in the, uh, the show notes. And um, so we'll leave it there. Uh, and hopefully Morris will get to get a chance to meet face to face at one of your conferences uh, whenever the, uh, the world opens its doors <laughs> again. Um, and best of luck with the, the upcoming virtual conferences that you have coming up. And uh, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Take care. You too. All right. Bye. 
Hey guys, and before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also, remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from so you get notified when our next episode comes out. And tune in next show and have a fantastic day. Thank you.